time stuff that I wish I had. The big time stuff that'll make you mad. The big time stuff. I like the big time stuff. I like the big time stuff that I never had. No, yeah. you can curse all you want. That's totally okay. <laughs> if you feel it, let it out. I got over at the fucking house. Oh, <laughs> uh, 12. It's great to hear your voice, my friend. We're so lucky to have you call James Andrews. Thank you for having me on your show. I didn't know you had a show. There you have it. <laughs> you know, and you're part of it. You're making it better. It's a pleasure. You got to do it one time live in New Orleans, huh? That's right. Live in New Orleans. We're going to bring the crowd to you, James Andrews. Yeah, I like that. Well, and no you better. join us. Hold on. And you join us every episode. We use your music as the intro. I like the big time oh, that's stuff. that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. We, we, we use a small sound clip uh, every time, and so we thought, like, okay, this is the best. Let's, let's actually have James Andrews yeah. on our episode with us. Chris has said a lot of things about you. Um, uh, well, Christopher is one of my, my favorite people in the whole world. <laughs> he told me, and, and Chris, you can tell me to, to skip some things too, but he told me a little bit about your story of teaching all your brothers and sisters to play music and why and yeah, where you came Absolutely. from, and I, I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing some of that story with us. Well, we came up in the in the in New Orleans in the neighborhood, the great neighborhood of Treme, down in the Treme, where we come up on Duman and Robertson. We used to go out and tap dance in the French Quarter and shine shoes for tips. How much did you uh, make, James? Well, we were making like $100 a night, something like that. But $100 back then was big money to us. <laughs> yeah. And you told me too, James, one of the things I remember beautifully was there was a wonderful family that helped you out when you were on the street tap dancing. They would change your money for you and everything. Oh, yeah. Went to the shop on Bourbon Street and give the ladies the change because we couldn't bring the change back to my grandmother's house because she would know we was in the French Quarter tap dancing. <laughs> so we used to go exchange the change for dollar bills. Uh -huh. And the people were very nice who uh, owned at the shop. So we uh, mm -hmm. used to go in there all the time. Sometimes we used to leave our shoe shine box and tap shoes in, the, in their shop. Mm -hmm. And when we come back to the quarters, they would have them right at the shop for us. Ah, wow. How old were you, James, when you were doing this? Oh, uh, I'd probably say I was in my, about 10. 10, yeah. And my, and my grandfather used to have the, the poop limousine, the poop taxi. So he used to drop <laughs> us up and pick us up in the French Quarter. And my grandmother didn't want, no, didn't want us to be out there, but my grandfather used to pick us up and bring us out there and watch nobody would steal the money from us. Oh, that's great. And that was Jesse Hill? That was That was Jesse Oopoopadoo Hill. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, that whole family, James, your roots in New Orleans music go so deep. I can't think of anyone with a family tree. That's more glorious. Yeah, we got a we got a uh, we got a couple of books we can write about that that part of the time. <laughs> we met we got to meet so many people like Professor Longhead during them days and Fast Domino because my grandfather was always playing with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, Fats Domino uh, is the real king of rock and roll. You know, he's outsold yeah. that Elvis by a, by. And a my grandfather was right there with him. Yeah, yeah, and playing with Dave Bartholomew. Uh, and yeah. Dave Bartholomew. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. we got so many stories about them times. Yeah, James, but you also were the one of the youngest ever to take a New Orleans band to Europe, huh? Yeah, we went to Europe. We went to uh, we went to Milan, Italy. I think we were about 14, uh, 14, 13, 14, mm -hmm. and we got invited to play in Milan, Italy at the uh, Milan International Festival. Mm -hmm. Is this your family, or is this your group, or your band? It was with my brothers and my cousins. What's your whole family? Because we had, <laughs> we had a band called the All Star Brass Band, and we used to play in the French Quarter mm -hmm. and for tips, and then we used to play in Jackson Square all the time in in New Orleans. And so we got in. Some people saw us playing in the in the streets in Jackson Square, and invited us to come to Italy. Mm. Fantastic. So we went over there. Mm -hmm. We went over there and played in it Milan, Italy, for the first time ever leaving New Orleans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> James, that's great. That was our first time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I like that uh time too. You told me you got stranded in Germany and you had to figure out a way yeah. to make money. I mean, James, you're just quite entrepreneurial. <laughs> oh, I was with Tuba Fatch and we was in Munich, Germany. Uh-huh. And uh the 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 promoter flew us over there two weeks before the gig and we didn't have no gig, no money to eat. All we had was a hotel. So I got up early in the morning and I passed the beer garden mm -hmm. and they had people, it was like eight in the morning. So they had people in the beer garden that early in the morning drinking and having a good time. So I passed the beer garden and the man said, you from America? I said, yeah. And we start talking and he said, bring you away your band. I said, they're in the hotel. So he said, bring your band back and we'll see what you got. So when I bought the band back, we start playing when the Saints go marching in, in the beer garden, and everybody went nuts over that New Orleans music in the beer garden. So after that, the man said, you come back every day and play. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a true story. Yeah, you were <laughs> able to eat after that, huh? So much money, we made more money than the gig was paying. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. No, no, you don't book them no more. I'm booking them now. <laughs> got a new promoter out of the deal too. Huh? We got a new booking agent out of the deal now. <laughs> and we went all over Germany and played for the soccer team. We went all over Germany and played everywhere we went. It was yeah. very nice. Yeah, yeah, I believe it. You even played for the Zulu King. Even played for the Zulu King in South Africa, where I wrote the hit song for the Zulu Club in New Orleans called Talking About the Zulu King. That's right. That's right. That's yeah. Right. And that song is heard all over the world. Yeah. I heard I heard a little story about you meeting the Zulu King and um, him not liking somebody. Can you share that story with us? In South Africa. We went to South Africa. Joanna, we went to Durban, and we got to meet the real Zulu King in Durban of South Africa. And he invited us to his house, to his palace in South Africa. And there was a tube of fats. Once again, my brother Buster, my cousin Glenn David Andrews, and we had uh, we had somebody else, uh, one more person, a couple of more. I can't remember who it was, but 
when we got there, he cooked a big lunch for us, and we had a great time at his house, at his palace in South Africa. And we play, and he got the Zulu people to perform their real Zulu culture for mm -hmm. us, and we got to play for them, and we played New Orleans music for them, and we did What a Wonderful World, and it was a touching experience, that one. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Did he ask you about the Zulu club in New Orleans? Yeah, he asked us about the Zulu club in New Orleans. He said, yeah, I know. I came down there and watched him. I jumped in the cab and was watching him. I said, why you do that? He said, because I wanted to see what they was doing. They said, Zulu. He thought it was something like a, another tribe trying to be an enemy of theirs. But uh, when he got there, he said, oh, I see what they're doing. They're having fun. Yeah, well, you know, it, was, <laughs> it, it, it was an honorific cho choosing. I mean, the, yeah. the, it was the first black carnival crew. And in 1916, when they were formed, the Zulus had just defeated the um, British, the most mighty yeah. empire in the Boer Wars. It was Shaka Zulu. Yeah, Shaka Zulu. And so, so the they king we him. met, the king we met was the descendant of him. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 You told me he asked if they were mocking him, the Zulus of New Orleans. Yeah. Was, are they mocking us? I said, No, no. They they're having a good time. It's a Mardi Gras thing and. In some kind of way, he must have went deep. But he said he came down here just to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, James, your, your music has taken you all over yeah. the world, huh? Yes, music has been good to me my whole life. I, I only played music. That's the only job I ever had was a musician. Mm -hmm. And I traveled from coast to coast like eggs and toast. <laughs> <laughs> I've been everywhere. I've been on every continent. I traveled to every continent. I traveled to so many countries around the world. It's been good to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. J James, you've met a lot of musicians, and you know, I, I, uh, I guess it's very different to compare musicians than to, you know, somebody, a kid playing in school or learning to play in school. What, what, what do you think is the biggest difference between what makes success as a musician and um, failure? Well. I think it's never failure. It's all it's all uh, success in the music industry. People may go through different things at different times in their life, but the music thing. We and plus we're always a student of the music. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we never, you, you never, uh, you're always in that mode where because you're always learning. Every day you learn something new. So we're always students of the of the craft, mm -hmm. and we. And we, uh, when you travel, you meet new people and you learn new things. And it's just like the music. Even in New Orleans, you go out, you meet new people, you learn different things. So I was saying uh, the success of it is when the crowd is really digging and enjoying what you're putting out. And when the crowd is happy, that's success to me. Mm. By a lot of measures, though, your your brother has become a very more famous musician, right? What what separates yeah, well, separates him from others? Well. well, he's doing well. Mm -hmm. You know, Jack. I think the I think the most part of it, he's humble. Mm -hmm. I think he because he's humble and he know where he come from. So I think that play a big part, and they treat people nice. That's a good thing.
Trombone Shorty is his name, just for the record. For yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Do you know twelve? And he's very humble and very generous too. I he think that. I think that about you, James. You know, you brought yeah. um, not just yourself up in the music, but you handed that down as a mentor to your brothers and sisters and to Troy. And I remember when Troy was really small, and he couldn't even Absolutely. get that couldn't get that trombone even to the sixth position. And you know. And you were like, he's gonna be a player. He's got. He's, he's gonna, gonna be a, be a player. player, absolutely. <laughs> I said, well, he said, kid now, but you could see the talent. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I knew he had the potential to be something someday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, you know, is your entire family still musicians? Absolutely. It's we're in the business of music. That is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole family play music. We got so many cousins. I couldn't even count them all, but I know them all. <laughs> <laughs> I met a bunch of them at your club one day in New Orleans. Yeah, you remember? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like half the bar was your, your cousins. <laughs> I Probably all of them with my cousins. And my uncles and my aunties, everybody used to come to the Oopoopadoo bar. And the trumpet blackhead, the Monday night popping with the red beans and rice was not nice. That <laughs> was free red beans and rice. You're right. That was a free beautiful red beans and rice. The land yap of New Orleans. <laughs> this was actually something very surprising to me. Like there was just red beans and rice sitting in the corner. Help yourself, Neil. Like we went to Vaughn's and yeah. and I remember Chris just telling me, and I'm like, this is a different. This is a different society. This is a different place. Yeah, well, in New Orleans, we known for the land yap down here. Give a little something extra. And we always give something extra in New Orleans. That's what made this town famous. Yeah, you know that's the origin, too, of the poor boy sandwich. They used to... Yeah, um, give them a little something extra. Huh? Give them a free sandwich. And the original poor boy was, uh, f- was French fries <laughs> on bread. It was just uh, carb-loaded. Oh, I love French that fries on bread. bread with, uh, I love that. I used to go to a place in the Treme. used to be called the Arsa House. We used to go in there and count our money. Uh-huh. After we get your tap dancing and used to go to the oyster house, well, we can order a real, we can order a full po' boy then. But I used to always like the French fries on French bread with the butter, with the uh, French, <laughs> uh, with the brown gravy in the onions. That was like <laughs> that's the original po' boy game. You're such a traditional po' boy. That's the original po' boy. Way better than filet mignon. That's great. <laughs> Yeah, well, trust me, it, it tastes better today. Yeah. <laughs> James, what was your you nickname when you were tap dancing? Lamb Chops. You were Lamb Chops? <laughs> I was Lamb Chops. <laughs> they already had the old man named Poke Chops already. <laughs> everybody used to say, come on, Lamb, get your, get your shoes, Lamb. Come on, we got to go, Lamb. We got to gig. Uh-huh. So Lamb Chop was you. I was Lil Lamb. <laughs> Lil Lamb. And did you ever dance with Pork Chop? Absolutely. And he was kidding to me. Ah, <laughs> figures. Everybody. He was a family kid. member of mine. Pork, the original Pork Chop was a family of mine. But he was a wonderful tap dancer. He was elegant the way he tap danced. Uh-huh. James, did, did most tap dancers have nicknames? All of them had a nickname. If you didn't have a nickname, you wasn't in the game. (laughs) (laughs) 
You had to have a slogan. Yeah, they have a name and they'd be a tap dancer. Everybody had a name. Yeah. You even had two tap dancers with two of the best tap dancers that would come out of New Orleans. There was Grand Marshals and tap dancers. But there was uh, Ali, uh, Ali and Kidney Stew. <laughs> Ali and Kidney Stew. The Stew and then you had poke chops with them. There was a trio. <laughs> <laughs> Pork chop and kidney stew sounds good. Pork chop and kidney stew. That was it. That was it. <laughs> so I, I went to Bourbon Street with you guys. Uh, I don't remember seeing any tap dancers. Is that tradition still alive? That's it. Yeah, they got a lot of kids tap dancing with bottle tops on their shoes now out there. But when we was dancing, we had the full real tops on our shoes. We used to go to the shoemaker every week and get the shoemaker to put, uh, we had all kind of taps. We had the taps that called it jingles. When you dance, they jingle. Sound like silver dollars dropping all over your feet. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so we had the real iron taps that they had to put the nails in. We had taps. Mm -hmm. So today we got a lot of kids in the French Quarter with the Sam tradition, the same thing we've done. That's why I know what they're doing because I've yeah. been there. Yeah, but that's a bygone era to get a shoemaker to put in real taps, huh? So they just use bottle yeah, caps. The, shoe, the, the shoemaker to put real tap shoes on our shoes. Guys, I, I feel left out. I, I came to New Orleans to get a proper, like, culture, and you guys didn't show any tap dancers. We're going to have to remedy that. And we didn't get you a French well, you, you got to go Yeah, yeah, you got to go down to the French Quarter when them kids out there tap dancing, but it's a... Uh, it's a true tradition. I, I'm going to come for longer next time. I want to have a good time. <laughs> Chris, Chris, let me know when we're going. Yeah. I'll I let you know. not have a good time. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to go with lamb chop down to the <laughs> Yeah, you got to come with little lambs. Little lamb. <laughs> but New Orleans is the heartbeat of America when you're talking about tradition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the music had never died. This is the place where the music never dies. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I was telling, I was telling Chris that um, before I heard Trumpet Black play, I didn't understand jazz music, really. I'd heard some in movies. I'd heard some on the radio. But I had no idea that that's what jazz music sounded like. Um, well, Trumpet Black was mixing it with funk and, and everything. It was, but Trumpet Black was a phenomenal trumpet player, a wonderful guy, and a great entertainer. Yeah, he had power. He had some power. You know, he I, picked up the pieces. He uh -huh. picked up the pieces. Mm -hmm. my, my musical power, is in, in, especially in jazz, is not very good. A lot like uh, the, the two of you. You guys have listened to a lot of things, have a lot of nuanced favorites for those people listening who like jazz but don't get it quite as well as you do and um and me uh in the same position as me what would you suggest like as the first bit of jazz music that we should all be listening to well one thing about it you listen to new orleans music you're gonna shake your ass you're gonna pat your feet and pop your fingers <laughs> i mean we got some jazz out there where that's New Orleans. We have we play happy music in New Orleans, and and that's the thing about it. We celebrate life in New Orleans through music, New Orleans music, and uh, we have so many different parts and components of this music. And what you got is you got a lot of players out there in so many parts of the world. They play music for sophistication, 
and mm-hmm. they're so sophisticated where people only listen. You don't speak, you don't dance, you just listen. But when you come down to New Orleans, to the 504, to the NO, you're going to shake your ass to this music. <laughs> the, the, so you would say start with New Orleans uh, jazz, but can you give me any specific names of your favorites as stuff if you were interested uh, well, in jazz for the first time? Well, I can start at the top with the top of the top. I can start with Louis Armstrong, the king of everything. My, yeah. my, can... my wife loves Louis Armstrong too, right? And here's a gal born in India who, uh, <laughs> who just loves Louis Armstrong. What a wonderful world. He crossed barriers. He crossed mountains with his music. His music is transcended all around the world. Every language, they know Louis Armstrong. And they know New Orleans from Louis Armstrong, you say, and he put the red beans and rice in there too. So people, that's a famous thing too. Okay, so after Louis Armstrong, who would we listen to? I love Clark Terry, was a famous trumpet player. He was so famous, he would play with Count Basie, play with Duke Ellington. And Clark Terry was one of the nicest people that you ever want to meet in life, in music and in life. He was so wonderful to be around and to talk to and just to have and share life with with a person like that oh clark terry and he's the one who inspired too and he was a wonderful trumpet player and musician wait who would be your number two chris um so we got clark terry louis armstrong yeah because lewis is number one yes that's pretty clear yeah so who's number two for you Oh, man. You know, I have... Uh, I'd love to get, like, the top five from both of you, so that's why I'm asking. Well, if we're thinking... Oh, we yeah, if we're thinking of trumpet players, it is... Not uh, necessarily just trumpet players, just, you know, jazz that, musicians. Well, I think uh, 12 is right. Clark Terry is up there. Clark Clark Terry. I love Clifford Brown. Lee Clifford Moore. Brown. Freddie Hubbard. Yeah, yeah. But you know the... In the New Orleans sound, it was um, all originally dance music. That was what jazz was. Um, it was and, dance music. Yeah, it became concertized, but really the essence of it is to get you to move. You feel it. Uh, and, and not only that, New Orleans, it's, it's that backyard groove. You're mm-hmm. in your backyard. A long time ago when all the people had parties in their backyard, that's what jazz, that's the vision I got for jazz. Lawn parties and yard parties, yeah. Yeah, yeah you, was at some, you was at your house or somebody else's house, right? Yeah. Yeah, in Arizona. Yeah, yeah. You, I remember you coming, 12, to that uh, get-together <laughs> we were at. That oh, was so much fun on that, that, that lawn. You met my wife then, actually, 12. We was at the, uh, we was at the well, thank sanctuary. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'll never forget that beautiful place. It was nice. Um, any any other of the top five that from either of you that we well we got to we got to mention Danny Barker and Blue Lou Barker. They was two of the best that ever did it. And Danny Barker was a great banjo player and guitar player that played with so many great people, Cap Calloway and all the greats. And Danny Barker revitalized the New Orleans brand band culture. And he was a personal friend of mine and a mentor. Thank you, 12. You know, um, the more you know about Danny, the more you see him. He's like uh, Savoir Faire. 
You know, if you look at any of those old uh, Step and Fetch It movies or the old Louis Armstrong movies, you'll see in the back there's Danny playing the guitar or playing the band. He looked like the best. Yeah, he looked like the best. Yeah, yeah. Played with the best for the best. Yeah. And, uh, he played he, with Charlie Parker. Yeah, he played with everyone from Cab Calloway to Charlie Parker, all different styles, and then came back. Yeah, you could carry, uh, you could carry a picture in his wallet of him and Charlie Parker with Dexter Gardner, Dexter Gardner in his wallet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we'll have to put a bunch of these musicians, Chad, in the show notes so people can actually look some of this up, yeah. have some fun. And plus, we have so many other great New Orleans musicians we can name in so many. Yeah, it everybody goes, is great. Yeah, yeah. It goes from the, you know, all the way from the original guys. Um, and then you had all the people was getting the Danny Barker, Paul Barbaran, and Louis Barbaran was extraordinary drummers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With that big beat from the street. <laughs> they were. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. And all the children. And so that sound, and so that sound from them passed on down for a few generations is landed right in right to us and we are the generation now that's keeping the new orleans music alive for the next generation well you certainly doing it um you've been passing the torch a very ungenerous so I learned, wow thank you so i learned that from danny barker mm-hmm. how to do all that how to be a leader a teacher and all of that i learned that straight from danny barker because i was I was soaking up all of that what he was given. I, I'm curious about your, your, your albums and when you release. Chris, what album of mine did you, of 12s did you give to me that I had in my car for years? Uh, was that the big time stuff? Yeah, yeah, that was what was on the it. Was big there, is that time what it was stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so the big time stuff is uh, that straight trimming music, the big time stuff. Oh, that's got to be one of my favorite uh, uh, sets of music i've albums i guess i've ever like heard as a complete album. album too i like the album you did with with troy when you know that's many years old now but it's never gets it never gets old i think you gave me that one no. too Chris. yeah yeah that's well what... we got it on the i put it online last year that's 12 and shorty yeah 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 but we call it james andrews and trombone shorty brothers we repackaged I... it uh-huh. I, I, I'm curious, so uh, are you releasing any new albums in the upcoming future? Absolutely. I, I'm always thinking. <laughs> always thinking and playing and writing. Do, do you think you'll yeah, release I'm another new album in the next 24 months? Absolutely. I got some material in my vault at my house ready to go. But I'm a, I got a song with me and Cyril Neville and my wife Karen Gant singing on a song we wrote called uh, Rolling with the Punches, and I'm going to release that some kind of way. Okay. Well, do, do, let us know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you let Chris know, but let us know when you do so we can share with Yeah, we're going to release that. When we release it, it's going to be, and plus this song has got a meaning to it. We recorded it a couple of years ago with a, a lot of musicians is on this thing. We got Dr. John, we got uh, Cyril Neville, we got uh, we got Joe Yamaguchi, we got Pete Morano from the Trombone Shorty Orchestra. We got Mike Bass on this thing from the Trombone Shorty Orchestra. We got so many different musicians on this album with us. Roger Lewis from the Dirty Dozen Brass Band is on it. 
And it it have a certain uh, a special meaning to this song, Rolling with the Punches. And it's it's a great song for this time with the corona thing going on. Yeah, James, I think I um I hear what you're saying. I was gonna ask you about it. How's New Orleans, which is an epicenter, how are they coping with the loss of so many great musicians from Ellis? Big Al Carson passed away. Yep. <coughs> well, the and thing even, is, uh, Uganda Roberts now, right? Yep, we lost a few great. Yeah. Over the years, over the years, we lost some great piano players from New Orleans and many more musicians too. We lost one of the greatest ever, Doctor Jones. We lost Fat Domino, Art Neville. We lost, uh, we lost uh, Fat Art and Doctor Jones and Alan Toussaint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that was the beginning of uh, the little the little thing for New Orleans when we were losing the greats from yeah. New Orleans. Yeah, that first and, uh, that generation, the older generation of musicians. Yeah, and that broke my heart too when we lost all them people back to back like that. And uh, and we lost the people recently from the COVID nineteen, Big Al, Uganda, and uh, Ellis Marcellus. And so. Uh, the biggest part of the thing is we can't send them off in the great way that we do so special in New Orleans with a traditional New Orleans jazz funeral. And so it's it's been, it's not prohibited at the time, but when we do get to it, I figure we're going to have to do a big one to mourn all the people that died from the COVID. Yeah, I think it's going to be explosive. <laughs> I think uh, it's going to happen yeah yeah I, I, it's a very sad thing that that uh, tradition of sending off especially the musicians with a jazz funeral has been uh postponed it's our tradition yeah yeah it seems uh one more reminder how quiet things have gotten because of coronavirus and COVID 19. james are you able to uh play much i'm sure you know you're still no, going that home uh, hmm? Yeah, well, I'm still playing at the house, and uh, I go to a little thing a guy I have up the street from my house uptown in New Orleans. He do a cake party every week, so I've been popping by to play a little bit for the people and try to cheer everybody up. Oh, that's great, 12. You know, Oliver Sacks is a great uh, psychologist. He said, uh -huh. he said that music and gardening were the two therapies he most recommended and got the most benefit for all of his patients. I like him. I like him already. <laughs> oh, he was great. You should, give, great. Him, yeah, you should great. give him my phone number. Oh, he's passed on, sadly. But, uh, oh, right. yeah, he's, you know, well, being God bless his heart. music. Yeah, yeah, oh, the two therapies. God bless his heart because he had a good spirit, I could tell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's uh, keeping people sane in the lockdown. Yes, uh, music will heal the soul. Mm-hmm. And the spirit, right? Music is, I think music will be one of the things that bring us through this whole pandemic. Well, I can't wait to see you back in New Orleans. And uh, Well, I can't wait to see you when you come down here. We're going to eat, we're going to do a trio. We're going to eat red beans, the poor boy, and the jambalaya. <laughs> I, I, I'm coming. I'm bringing my wife. I'll have to skip on the jambalaya because I'm vegetarian. Well, you got to come to New Orleans. It's the, it's the best place in the world to be in the pandemic. <laughs> I don't know if I'd agree with that, huh? Because <laughs> this is a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs>
everything yeah. New Orleans is a pandemic. That's why I think we're going to pull through this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've survived a lot. Yellow fever epidemic. New Orleans, New Orleans been through it. We didn't saw it all. James, we appreciate having you today. Thank you for having me and call me anytime. I would love to be on your show. Thank you, James. <laughs> Thank we you, James. You, man. Thanks for the time and thanks for your insights. It's beautiful. Thank you for everything. And let that ball time will let the good times roll down in New Orleans, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, James. Thank you. He's awesome. Yeah. Um, I actually wonder if we just cover some current events and uh, a little bit of uh, market and, you know, um, just kind of round it out in these next two sections here. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, you know, you're talking to the 120 families you represent and uh, the new clients uh, that you want to represent. You know, what, what was this last week like in the market and what is it, you know, that's top of mind for you? Um. You know, I think uh, the markets have run way, way up, and it seems certainly that things are ahead of themselves. So we're, again, just uh, echoing the same caution. But it's also serving up tremendous values. You know, I think uh, when you look at um, an eight sigma event, as they said, the oil price collapse is, this is not just a once in a lifetime, but, uh, or not just once in a generation, but once in a lifetime type of event. That's, but that, that's more, it's more than once in a lifetime, right? You said it was like a once in a 10,000 year potential occurrence. That's what the statisticians tell us. But I think sometimes, you know, modeling <laughs> things is a, is a misguided. Yeah, attempt. isn't it an eight sigma event that I just spontaneously combust as well? Like to just yeah. it further out there. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's really trying to model something that's completely random or, you know, it's our, Gra our minds grasping to understand or try to uh, I don't know if it's compartmentalized is the right word but it is uh, it is a, in my sense of it a grasping type energy because uh, once in 10,000 years who can really imagine that in terms of especially a human life why, why would we need to <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> such a random occurrence so um, but that randomness does create something that um, at least in the scope of history, we've never seen. Um, and thus, it appears to be something uh, that is a uh, tremendously rare event. Um, when you think of hydrocarbons, it's something we still are going to need. I do think we'll tame COVID. <laughs> All of those supporting arguments and their conditionality um, lead me to be constructive on oil and energy and uh, things like that, you know. I think we've spent 12.5% or so of our GDP more than any other country in our COVID response, and now the House wants to do another $3 trillion. Which is representing another what percentage of our GDP? Uh, that would be uh, another 15% or so. So we're, we're looking to double what we've already spent, more than double. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think we're going to get the you know, I mean, we're, we're quoting this in terms of GDP, but GDP is declining. You know, that's like total sales in the economy is the best way to think about GDP or what it's trying to measure. And, um, you know, it was just uh, reading that retail sales have uh, declined dramatically. I think 18% in April and... Uh, poor poor Neiman Marcus. Yeah, yeah. And 
expect uh, and expecting it to be a thirty percent or so drop in in May. That's consumer side, but that's you know sixty eight percent of the GDP number. So. One of the things I've been meaning to ask you and I've been thinking about for a little while is the market trading up because 80% of the volume or more is by, you know, great algorithms. Mm-hmm. And is it, you know, our lack of imagination that a pandemic could hit us. Um, so, you know, the programmers of those uh, algorithms didn't account for this. So now they're just running the market up. Like, are we stuck in some loop um, that that isn't well understood by humanity to begin with? And as a result, we're trading um, an opposite way of what it seems like the economy is actually doing. Like there's a big desperate like chasm between what's going on in the market and what seems to be going on in reality. And normally those two things in my mind are supposed to match. Ha ah, ah. Yes. How naive of you, Neil. <laughs> no, I, I'm with you in the same camp, but, but I've been flummoxed for uh, many years. You know, um, we've talked about this before, but the corporate profits haven't moved up since 2014. If you look at the NEPA accounts, National Income and Production Accounts, which is not non-GAAP, it's not manipulated in any way, it's just the pure measure across um, the business sector of corporate profits, it's been flat, um, maybe now slightly negative since 2014. Yet stock prices, which are supposed to be driven by profitability and growing profits are supposed to grow the share price stock prices have grown and moved higher without profits moving up. So there's been a disconnect for a while. This has further exacerbated it, but I think you you put your finger on a couple of the causes. The algorithmic trading, you know, um, the buying of index funds, which creates this buying pressure for stocks, regardless of the underlying fundamentals. It's just a sort of money flow um, that continues to push prices higher, I guess, until it doesn't. Um, This was once termed as price insensitive buyers. So you have, (laughs) which I don't know who those would be. Hopefully no one I'm investing alongside. You are, you're in the market every day. (laughs) That's all for today's episode. I'm Neil Modi, joined by my ever insightful co-host, Chris Seidel. I hope all of you are doing well, keeping safe, keeping distancing, and of course, becoming better human beings. Thanks again for joining us on this journey. Please leave us a comment and a rating whenever you get a chance and whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. Thank you.